This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. If you'd like to support Hiking Through Life, you can go to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have t-shirts, water bottles, and we recently added stickers to the shop. Use the code podcast at checkout and receive 10% off your first order. There are other ways you can support this podcast as well. You can check those out at hikingthroughlife.net slash support. Also, be sure to sign up for our email list. You can do that by heading over to hikingthroughlife.net. Enter your email address and click subscribe. There's no commitment. You can unsubscribe at any time. As part of our email list, you'll receive our monthly newsletter. We'll also be sending out any promotional codes for Hiking Through Life gear. It's an excellent way to follow Hiking Through Life's journey. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we have Charles Dean on the podcast with us. He is an outdoor enthusiast who has found his place skiing and climbing in the outdoors. He currently lives in Colorado and is soaking up the outdoor lifestyle the state has to offer. Much like us at Hiking Through Life, he finds the outdoor community is a place to make connections, share stories, and dive into how people got there. He has been working hard and has a new outdoor podcast launching in November called Outdoor Pulse. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, Charles. Hey, how's it going? So tell us about how you got involved in the outdoors. It sounds like you grew up skiing. Yes, I grew up, so my initial kind of jump into the outdoor community. I've been skiing since I was about five years old, but I grew up with uh, woods behind my house. So I was always down there playing in the creek, climbing trees, getting dirty, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's definitely um, when people start in the outdoors when they're young, that definitely sets the foundation for what it could be like for the rest of your life. Yeah. And what state did you grow up in? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there's a small little ski uh, bump in the land, I would call it. It's nothing huge, called Perfect North Slopes. So I grew up skiing there. Uh, I know Nick Jepper uh, started skiing there. So the freestyle skier, he then moved out to somewhere else. But yeah, that's like our little tiny claim to fame. <laughs> cool. I actually, like. I'm not big in the ski world, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know who that is. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, but guessing he's some famous skier, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So did you automatically like gravitate to skiing or was it more like a thing learned over time that you started to love? During the ski season, I'd go once a week. So it was just one of those outdoor sports where it was an individual sport 
and I just really loved how it felt and getting out and just being able to be on the snow. So I would be able to go once a week. I'd usually go after school and just head out there and just get some runs in. Besides that, I'd say I kind of just gravitated towards the outdoor community, especially that came more so when I was a freshman in college. I joined the Mountaineers who are a mix of everything. You got mountain bikers, you got skiers, you got pretty much people who do everything. They have a Mount Rainier trip every year. So just kind of like a misfit crew. (laughs) So I kind of fell in with them and Ohio State had a climbing gym that is, it's not free because you pay for it with tuition, but you know, it's, it's free enough. You don't have to pay monthly for it. So I started going to their gym that they have, which Ohio State has a really good climbing gym for a college. It's pretty big. They have at least, I think there's like 12 to 15 or something ropes. So a decent gym size for just a college. So yeah, that sounds like a lot. I haven't been to many climbing gyms, but 12 to fit, that's like a, I mean, we have a place here called Vertical Endeavors in Minnesota, and that's like a well-known gym. And that almost sounds like the the size that you're describing. So that's really cool that you just got to use that in college. Yeah, it was great. It was a great kind of dive into the outdoor community because from there and just going all the time, I met my climbing friends and I went outside to climb my freshman summer. That was my first time getting out down the Red River Gorge, which if you're from the East Coast, that's like one of the big places. So Red River Gorge was where I really started going outside and actually experiencing the outdoor community. And there's a mix of everybody down there. You meet people from all over the place, which is awesome. And that's where you started climbing? Yeah, outside climbing. Outside climbing was down at Red River Gorge. Okay. So when you're doing this outside climbing, like how, how high were you typically climbing? The red's not, not known for its multi-pitching. It's more known for its single pitch overhanging, like sandstone rock. It's just super cool climbing. You kind of get that like Swiss cheese look on the wall. So very kind of cool looking design. Like you look at it and you're just like, oh, that's an awesome looking wall. And when you say pitch, I don't, I'm not super familiar with climbing terminology either. Like when you say pitch, does that mean like, like a, is that like a foot in relation to climbing or what does that exactly mean? So pitches are rope length essentially. So if there's a 10 pitch climb, that means you've climbed the length of the rope 10 times. And it's like you stop 10 times to recollect the rope and then climb another distance. So a single pitch is just one rope length. So that's anywhere between, you get probably between about 40 feet down there, 30 to 40 feet are like the short routes. And at the highest, you probably get hundred foot. There's a couple like two pitch climbs, but they don't have anything past that. It's all just about hundred foot walls that they put routes up on. Okay. Okay. So is there like any recommendations you would give to someone who's never gone outdoor climbing before? So if you're going to do outdoor climbing, most people get started in indoor climbing first. So you'll find a friend or something. And most of the, at least the climbing communities that I've been a part of, it's super open. So if you ever want to go outside, you just start talking about it. And people usually be like, yeah, come with us. I got the gear, teach you what to do and kind of bring you out and show you the ropes outside. So 
that's the way that I've seen most people get into it is finding someone that they trust to kind of teach them. So when you start off, usually they'll climb outside first and start doing like they'll set the route and then you'll follow behind essentially after they've already put up all the gear and everything. So that's the way that I've seen that most people get into outdoor climbing. And then once you're comfortable enough, usually people, if you like it enough, which I've yet to meet someone that's gone outdoor climbing and been like, nah, I'm not going to go anymore because it, it's addicting. So you go outside and after a while, once you're comfortable, you buy your own gear, get your rope, get your quick draws and all that. Yeah. I mean, that's so similar to, I mean, hiking, like, cause we're super into like hiking and I know that people can be very apprehensive about going out on a hiking trail the first time or a backpacking trip. But it's so true when you go out with someone who is familiar with it and knows the ropes of it, it makes it that much easier to get into. And I just know, just like the rest of the outdoor community, everyone's always so happy to help. And all you have to do is pretty much ask. And most people be like, yeah, come out with me sometime. It's, it'll be a good time. So that's one of the things I've always so far already loved about the outdoor community is just how open everybody is to helping new people kind of get into different things. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So as far as climbing goes, you need like special shoes for that as well, don't you? Don't need them, but highly recommend it. <laughs> it just helps with the difficulty. So if you're not wearing the right type of shoes, you're not getting the right friction and it's just not going to go well. You can only climb to a certain difficulty but yeah you got it's pretty much rubber and it acts as a reverse friction so instead of you walking with like on flat ground with your shoe having tread on the bottom of it that's how you get your kind of friction there and climbing it's reverse the wall is the rough side and then your rubber acts as the sticky flat side that kind of catches so the physics behind it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, like they're not necessary, but there's definitely items that make things a lot easier, especially if you're ready to invest in a sport or an activity. It for yeah. sure makes sense. Like I know we started out backpacking with like cheaper backpacks and like cheaper stoves, but it, it can make it a little more enjoyable when you have some nicer gear. Yeah. The climbing shoes are pretty much all the same, except for some are more aggressive, which gives you a better pressure into your toe so that you can really edge well and like get those really small like bumps. And then there's more not aggressive ones that are better for like friction climbing, which is where you want to get as much of that sole onto the wall, which is slab, which is negative incline so you're kind of climbing at like a slightly positive slope so you're not like overhanging versus an overhanging slope you'd rather have an aggressive toed shoe because that's when you really want to be able to kind of hook into those things that are coming out and it just gives you the right pressure I guess I would say and if you're on slab a more flat foot so that you can actually kind of smear up the wall which is when you get as much of that foot onto the wall as you can and kind of just push. There's really nothing to put your foot onto except for to just get as much friction as you can against the wall. So different shoes are used for different reasons, but starting off, that's probably one of the first things that people buy is shoes and a harness. 
What about a helmet? Is that ever <laughs> a thing that might be a topless? Yes, more so when some people wear them all the time. A lot of people will wear them, especially for multi-pitch routes, where if you're 10 rope lengths up and your belayer gets knocked out, probably not a good thing. So usually the more dangerous side is the belayer getting knocked out. Yeah, you don't want your climber to get knocked out, but at least you know, you're still holding them on the rope where the belayer gets knocked out, um, which is why if you're climbing multi-pitch, you usually have a device that auto locks, which is if you're not holding onto the rope anymore and the climber falls, then it'll catch them automatically. So there's, there's different safety devices that people use just to really make sure, but helmets, especially when there's risk of rocks falling above you is the biggest problem. And they're also good for if you're at a place where you might whip around a corner and slam into a wall, you know, you don't want to have your head exposed then too. So, but there's also plenty of routes out there where there's very low risk of you actually kind of hitting your head. Obviously during the first bolt or two, you could fall and hit the ground, but just like in bouldering, I mean, you don't see people wearing helmets bouldering. So that's the way I would put it. You're as safe as you kind of want to be, but there are certain times where helmets are a little bit more necessary than other times I would say, but helmets are something that's on the list of once you start to get outdoor climbing, something to have on your list to get. Yeah, it's definitely something that I know the place here, like when you're beginning and training here, they do have you wear a helmet. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose it's like the more the more experience you get. And at the end of the day, it's kind of up to the person. Yeah. Indoors, always a little bit overkill, especially because they're dealing with, you know, insurance companies. So they'll overkill everything just because of that half the time too. So. Well, and do you think part of that is because there's so many beginners and new people in those places? Oh, uh, I really don't know. Cause the way that they do it in there, you have a bolt every like five feet, especially for like lead climbing. And it's like, it seems a little bit overkill, but I know that a lot of that's determined by uh, risk assessment and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I know that some places probably do go above and beyond, but it's, it's a safety thing mixed with kind of insurance, it feels like, because you go outside and you'll have bolts that are like 15 feet apart versus you feel like you're clipping every two seconds when you're indoor climbing and you're never falling more than about 10 feet. So it's always pretty safe. Indoor climbing, I would say, especially if you're getting into outdoor climbing before you go outdoors, it would be great to learn how to lead climb inside because it's a safe environment where there's a very low risk of you actually decking and hitting the ground where outdoors that first bolt could be 10, 15 feet in the air and you have zero protection until you get that first piece of gear in. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Gosh, I you're making my adrenaline want to <laughs> kind of try it, but at the same time, I'm like still a little freaked out to try it. <laughs> it's a ton of fun. <laughs> have you ever had a serious injury while climbing? Uh, serious? No. I've had a couple big whippers, but uh, the thing about the red is a lot of the climbing is really pretty safe because a lot of it is overhung. So your falls are into, into space, I would say. So you're climbing up and over. 
and you're climbing up and over uh, just open space, there's really nothing that's going to hurt you unless you actually hit the ground. There's unless you tie a rope wrong or something like that, and then you wait it and it comes undone, which that's the last the last time some a climbers actually died down at the red. It was a very experienced guy that just had tied the same knot over and over again. And most people use a figure eight, but there's also, I forget the name of it right now. I should remember it because I know a few people that do use it. But if you don't tie it right, it can come undone by itself once you wait it. So essentially you got to the top and weighted it and it was tied wrong, just came right undone. It's more of that kind of stuff. So learning your knots and just not getting complacent because most of the times when you hear of anything like that happening, it's always the seasoned people who've been climbing for years. And it's like, it's always one of those like funny conundrums where it's like the people who end up having those ones are usually the people who've been doing it for so long. And it's just like a repetitive thing versus the newbie that is like, oh my God, is my knot right? <laughs> and they check it like 20 times versus the guy who's been doing it for 20 years that checks it like once and, or doesn't check it at all. So just, you know, your, your safety is your own safety when you're out there. So just really keeping that in mind and knowing that between you and your belayer, having someone that you trust and really trusting your own ability. So just kind of knowing where you're at and not pushing yourself too far is a big thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I mean, a lot of sports, not pushing yourself too far, and wow, yeah, the whole knot thing, I guess I've never really thought that deep about how knot tying becomes such an important part of climbing. I mean, that's like a huge skill. That's the same thing with like any sport though. I mean, I feel like once you get to a certain point, it just becomes second nature with a lot of stuff. And if you don't keep reminding yourself like, okay, I should probably still check this. Like even with like backpacking, it's like, oh, you just pack your bag. Like, and it's like a second nature thing. Like, you know what you need to pack and then maybe you don't second check for something. You might forget something versus somebody who's like quadruple packing their backpack for the first time and like super worried about it and like concerned about what they're doing. So I, I, I feel like that's a little bit with every sport is you get a little bit complacent at a certain point Yeah, and just kind of remembering. So, but the only injury that kind of kept me out for three months was I, slightly I had a finger injury which is finger injuries are the biggest thing in climbing just because I mean you're climbing with your fingers all the time and that's where you're weighting your body and if you fall you're putting a lot of weight strain onto those uh, tendons and pulleys in your fingers so usually the a I think it's the a4 pulley in your ring finger is the most common climbing injury in all of climbing and that's the one that I kind of hurt. I didn't tear it or anything, but it, I, I went to go climb the next day after it happened and I went to go pull up on it. I was like, Nope, not, not climbing today. So, but that came really early on. It was a very common time to get an injury because your tendons don't get as strong as your muscles as fast. So if you're really getting into climbing at first and you're going a lot, your muscles are going to shoot up and you're going to get stronger really fast, but your tendons aren't going to keep up. So you're climbing stuff that's above your tendon strength, essentially. And a lot of people early on end up with a tendon injury like that because their muscles are outpacing their tendons. So, 
So it's kind of like your initiation into yeah. climbing in a way. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Until but... you get that injury, you're you're not it's a it's avoidable <laughs> if you do it right and you don't overdo it. So just knowing where you're at level wise and not, you know, getting too small too fast with the cause like I said, you're you're gonna be like, Oh, I can climb this because I'm this strong, but your tendons need a little bit more time to catch up. So just kind of starting out, you just need to be careful about that and kind of take your time and give your tendons time to catch up with you. You know, you can stick at a certain level for a little bit longer instead of pushing on to, you know, 11s like a couple months in, which I know a couple people have done. And most people that are starting out and end up doing that end up hurting their finger in some way, shape or form, because just overuse, I mean, you're going so much. If you get that good, that fast, you're going a ton wear and tear on your fingers. Plus the fact that you're now stronger muscle wise than your tendons were able to, your tendons are one of those things that take, take time. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like we've said a couple of times, it's like any sport you're doing, you need time to, your body needs time to adjust to that. And especially in outdoor sports, people tend to push themselves so much and we just forget to give our body that rest and relaxation time. But yeah, if you're like so into it, it's people just keep going. You don't realize it because you're having so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever come across that where you've just been going way too hard and then at the end of the day, you like get back and you're like, whoa, I pushed my body to the extreme. I mean, if you had a good day of climbing, you're not going to come back not tired. (laughs) You're going to come back and just zonk out. So I'd say the biggest thing is just knowing when I've not been treating my body right. So like, especially not drinking enough water. So I've had, it was my second time going out West to ski and I was with the ski club. And I remember skiing up to my first double black, like, uh, like shoot and being like, well, I can't go back up and <laughs> I'm kind of stuck here now unless I decide to go down. So it was one of those, like, did I push myself? But I ended up doing it fine. I didn't have a problem with it once I started going, but I'd say that that was probably my probably like mental moment of like, what am I doing? <laughs> How did right. I get myself into this situation? But I, I don't know. After I did it, I a lot of it's trusting in your ability. Like, you know where you're at. So, and I knew that I had would be able to do because I've skied stuff is steep and I was talking to people that have done it before and that you can do it and it was people that I trusted so I knew I could do it because I was talking to people that I knew and trusted and if they said I could do it there's a little bit of a trust aspect there and the thing about an outdoor sport is there you're going to run into those moments because if you don't you're not ever gonna kind of advance further into doing more things because if you have that mental block that it, it's a weird line that you have to kind of straddle is like how far is too far am I doing too much am I doing too little you know especially when you're trying to do harder things I'd say with climbing though um, I also had a small moment my first big uh, whipper which is a fall that's pretty big so I fell about 30 feet and I remember being right at my belayer's head, who's one of my best friends and like kind of freaking out a bit, but the physics behind it all made sense. I knew where I was at on the wall. I knew I was safe, but it's still one of those moments where you're looking up at the wall where you fell from and you're looking at where you're at and you're like, 
Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 30 feet. That's, that's a good amount. Yeah. The, the furthest I've fallen is probably about 40, but that was a big open air kind of you're climbing up over an overhanging route like that. So you get to a certain point, if you're pushing to try and send her out, as long as it's safe, which most overhanging routes are, it's like, there's nothing that you're going to hit below you. You're already 70 feet in the air. So falling 40 feet is you're still going to be 30 feet in the air. It's like, it's a pretty safe fall. So, but the one where I was right above my friend's head was like, okay, I can trust my rope. I can trust the physics behind it because whatever you climb above your last piece of gear. So if you climb 10 feet past your last piece of gear, you're going to fall 20 feet because you fall down to the gear and then you fall that extra 10 feet after that. And then you get a little bit extra because you're on a dynamic rope. So the 30%, whatever uh, extension, when it expands, kind of gives you another like four or five feet. So it's just knowing where you're at in the wall and knowing where it's safe to fall at and kind of having that in the back of your head, which comes with time and kind of just learning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just listening to all these terms you're throwing out here and like, the numbers, it sounds like once you become familiar with all of those, you get a little more comfortable. And it's like everything yeah. else. You just have to learn to trust your gear. So taking that first fall, it's important also because then you also are like, okay, all these things that I've been told that this stuff can take, that's kind of in the back of your head. Like, can I really fall that far in a rope? Can I really do this? Is it safe? And then when you finally have it happen, you're like, okay, the safety gear works. You can trust it. And it opens up your mental, uh, like your mind to being able to push yourself a little bit further because the fear kind of goes away a little bit. It's still there a little bit, but once you can trust your gear, it's like, it helps a lot. I feel like. Right. Right. It kind of, and it will probably keep your adrenaline and excitement going to keep on doing that. Well, it kind of takes away a lot of the adrenaline. Like if you get an adrenaline rush doing anything like that, you're, you've messed up. (laughs) So and that's from what Alex Honnold brought up is he's, when he's climbing, he's like, if I ever have an adrenaline rush while I'm free soloing, that's not a good thing. It's not something that I want to happen. It's, he doesn't climb for the adrenaline. It's, you climb for the beauty, you climb for the whatever. And if you're rope climbing, you can still, you can push yourself a lot further and falling on a rope is a bit of a, like an adrenaline rush, but it's one of those things where if you're actually trying to send something, you should, you shouldn't really run into that too much. You should trust your gear enough and be safe enough that shouldn't get heightened too much. I'm trying to think of how to explain it the best, how I feel about it, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I kind of see where you're going with it. I guess I've just, yeah, it's, it still seems like an adrenaline rush to me to be out on the mountain, especially when you're saying Alex Honnold, who, yeah, free solo, like there's no gear. So to me, that seems like a wild adrenaline rush. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the most extreme thing ever to free solo. He's a special breed of human. His mind's different. Yeah. <laughs> so just the way that he talks about things is, which I did get to meet him. He came up and did a talk with Sasha DeJillian at OSU. The Mountaineers got them to come up. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, definitely a unique guy. Cool to talk to, but a little bit, a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, I remember watching his documentary and his his girlfriend at the time was just so worried too. But I mean, she was so understanding. She was like, he has to do this for himself. Like, 
this is kind of his life. But I mean, just thinking about him and just what other people around him were thinking, but in his mind, he's like, I've got to, I've got to do it. Yeah. But the way that he approaches it is not like a lot of people who are into these kinds of sports. So a lot of us do kind of, like I said, it is fun to fall on a rope that far. There's, there is an adrenaline rush that's fun, but he's not like a lot of climbers and people who are into the extreme sports because he's like, yeah, I, I kind of, it's kind of like peaceful. He's like, it's kind of peaceful to me. It's like, okay, <laughs> like you do you. He, like, like I said, totally different mindset. He's not in it for the adrenaline rush. He like, it's weird. That's all I got to say. <laughs> He's yeah, definitely absolutely. different than a lot of climbers and people that I've met that are into it. it. Although, I mean, outside of climbing, most people that I know, even though it's an extreme sport, they're a bunch of really laid back. Just they wouldn't come off as like super extreme, but they're all a bunch of climbers that are doing this crazy stuff out there. I don't know if that comes from doing that and then everything else just like chill afterwards. So I feel like there's an aspect of that. So once you experience that kind of stuff, everything else is just a little bit more mellow. Right, right. I mean, that's that's a good point because that's something that's so extreme for the body that I suppose so. So did you, um, did you grow up doing sports and everything or has like, yeah, I mean, other than skiing, high school soccer, my freshman and sophomore year. And other than that, I mean, I played baseball. I played all the normal grade school sports, you know, but soccer was the one that I did the longest. And I still played that before I moved out here. Do you feel like those sports in your earlier days kind of carved out the path for your mindset with climbing and skiing now? Uh, skiing, uh, probably for sure, as just being a solo sport, growing up doing a solo sport kind of leads to so climbing's also, yeah, you need your belayer, but when you're climbing, it's you in the wall. So it's also a solo sport. And for me, I have an internal drive and there it's definitely a sport where you need to be internally motivated and internally push yourself where I feel like some of the team sports, there's a little bit less of that. You don't need that internal drive just yourself. You have those people around you that can push you too. So, but when there's a solo sport, it's kind of just however far you want to take it with a team, you're kind of combination of your parts, but in a solo sport, you are the sole contributor to how far you get in that sport. To me, that's kind of like a draw of those individual sports is just that it's totally up to you how far you take it. And for the team sports, I'd say the biggest thing that I got from them was just the training and knowing that recovery is such a big thing and just being smart about how I recover and just taking care of my body and not, you know, not, not taking care of it. (laughs) So just learning how to recovers definitely a big thing that I got from my high school soccer days. They definitely did a great job with that. So that recovery period is such a big thing. So taking rest days is important, just as important as your training days. You still need the rest days because if you don't, you're going to just hurt yourself at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listening to you to talk about like the solar sports versus the team sports, it's just like really like a parent in the hiking community too, because like, I find that I like hiking with people 
more so than by myself because I'm, I'm not someone who like pushes myself and I'm not super competitive with myself. And so I find that being with a community is like, it's great support. And we're there to like remind each other that we can do it. But, um, just hearing about like your solo hike, your solo sports, it's just so, it's such a mindset. And I think that it's pretty cool when people have that athletic drive and that mindset to push yourself to be able to do that yourself. But also I like that you bring in the whole aspect of you kind of need that balance of like solo and team sports in a way. Yeah. That's the great thing in climbing and skiing because it, yeah, it's a solo sport and you can take it as far as you want, but having like your belay partner who was in college, it was one of my best friends. And after I graduated and moved back to Cincinnati, I found another group that I went climbing with a lot down at the red and found more people. And they're also, they'll, they'll push you too. You know, you, you get to a part and you're climbing and then they'll start rooting you on from the bottom, like kind of pushing you. So there, even though it's a team sport, you definitely have that support aspect of whoever you're with is usually your biggest supporter and like trying to like, everyone wants to see each other succeed, which in the climbing community, it's super apparent. So there's really no, even with people trying to like beat each other in finishing a route for the first time, there's really no ownership of the wall, you know, like anybody can try it. So, and if somebody does it while they're there, there's always, everyone goes insane. Everyone's so happy for that person. There's really no, it's such a supportive community. And even though there is competitions and things like that, even when like people lose, you don't, it's not like a super sad moment. Most of the time it's like that person just climbed that super hard route and I'm super happy for them versus a like, I'm, I pissed at them because they beat me. It's there's really not a lot of that. And if you ever watch like competitive climbing or anything like that, or if you watch uh, any of the videos where some of the best climbers are climbing these routes for the first time, just the people that are there are always so happy for them. It's that support behind them. I feel like that is also very helpful. So like you said, the whole team sport aspect is it's kind of there, but it's still if you don't put it in the work beforehand to get to there, you're not even going to have a shot of even doing it. So it, it's a, it's a weird, not, not really weird, but it's definitely a, a combination of the two mentalities, I guess. You kind of need that internal drive, but you also need that push around you to kind of even push you even further past where you would have gotten. Yeah, for sure. And I love that there's not like, yeah, like that super competitive anger towards the other person who might have climbed higher yeah and yeah I think just the outdoor community like that is like that in general in a lot of places from what I've seen so that's that's a super cool thing that people share yeah I mean it's like we're all out there doing the same thing and the more community you can bring into it the better and we're just we're all here for the same goal we all love what we're doing Exactly. It doesn't matter how hard you're doing it. It's you're all there. You're all having a good time. It's you're all partaking in the same sport. It's just a fun environment to be in. So you moved out to Colorado three months ago. Yeah. Three months uh, of close to four months now. So yeah, May 1st was my first day out here. And that was you moved from Ohio. Yeah. Ohio, Cincinnati. 
how many years out of college are you? Uh, two years, three actually. Yeah. Okay. And does your work life have anything to do with the outdoor industry at all or not? wasn't really part of the outdoor industry. I'm trying to find a job in the outdoor industry right now. Actually, now that I'm finally out here, I kind of just took a job to get out here and, (laughs) you know, just to be close to the mountains. But now that I'm out here and settled in, I'm actually starting to look a little bit more. And when I was back in Cincinnati, I worked in the hazardous waste industry. So it wasn't really a part of the outdoor community at all. I mean, yeah, it was environmental work, but not exactly outdoor industry work. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the hazardous waste that we're putting into the outdoors is more like it, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So I mean at least with Clean Harbor, I mean, it was part of the whole cleanup thing. They collect used chemicals and things like that. And I know with them they use incinerators and they they clean it like four times. And then finally at the end, the last like filter is what finally gets put into the ground. So it's just reduction of the amount of like what's actually going into the ground. You're severely reducing it from like a ton of waste to just a small little filter. That's kind of what they do. So it was kind of cool work just knowing that kind of helping out with the environment and things like that. But I had to get out West. So (laughs) I kind of just found a job and quit and then moved out here. And where in Colorado are you? I'm in Denver. So I'm actually in the Washington Park area currently. At some point, I could see myself moving somewhere else more into the mountains or even some some other mountains in another state like Wyoming or something like that. But for now, I'm here and I'm happy. <laughs> awesome. And did you move out there like not having any community? Uh, no, I don't know. I had zero friends, zero family, just me and my dog. Oh, yeah. I saw a picture of your dog. What's the name of the dog? Rosie. She is an awesome hiker. <laughs> what kind of dog? Uh, Blue Healer German Shepherd. So awesome. super cool mix. Uh, she has unlimited energy already and it is great for hiking. So I've taken her on a 12 mile hike into the Indian Peaks Wilderness, and she's also done Square Top Mountain with me, which was a 13.8 peak. So she does better than me. So that sounds like <laughs> our dog, our dog Daisy. She's a shepherd healer, and she, yeah, she could go for hours and hours. So much energy. Australian Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And a red healer. I swear the Australians were just like, hey, we let's make some dogs that just have unlimited energy. And <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's insane. The Austra- it's the Australians. I blame them. <laughs> yeah. Right. So do you felt like you've like found your your outdoor community there yet or been a little hard with COVID, but yeah. Um, I definitely my roommates in the hiking and stuff, so able to get out with her and her dog. And I've done a lot of solo hikes out there so especially with covid but once i kind of am a little bit more even settled in than now i've also been super busy with starting the podcast and everything so a lot of my extra time has been kind of thrown at that than getting out and meeting new people so a lot of it's just been kind of working on that project but at some point, I'm definitely going to get back into the like the climbing community out here because climbing can be a full year sport out here. And then obviously skiing, 
I got a pass to a basin in Loveland for this upcoming winter. So fingers crossed that it isn't too hard and too crazy with COVID and everything, but we'll see what happens. Right, right. I know it's, yeah, the whole COVID thing has been really hard, but I got to say like the podcasting, like talking to people about the outdoors has definitely been a huge help for me at least throughout COVID because it's like, okay, I can't be out doing all these awesome things, but I'm still able to reach the community and have these conversations with people and know that we love it, but it's just like, this is just a really weird time we're living in. (laughs) And it's just like a, it's an outlet that we can use to still have the outdoors. We just got to bring it into technology. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm looking forward to finally starting my, um, I have my first you set up later this week and just starting my interviews and really diving into talking to people. I'm super excited to get rolling with all that. And so your podcast is kind of more sports themed, outdoor sports a little themed, bit more, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say it's a little bit more sports themed. I have people, uh, my first guests, I have women who skydives and kind of was living kind of out of the back of her car. I have people ski, climb, you know, I have a, one of the mountaineers actually just reached out to me and they've climbed a couple peaks and they're asking to be on too. So, I mean, it's super cool having an outdoor, being a part of the outdoor community like this, because everybody has a different story and there's just so much, everyone's gotten into their sport a little bit differently. So I got in through my dad teaching me how to ski when I was like five years old And then with climbing, I got into it just because it was super readily available and just kind of right there when I was in college. And I just kind of fell into the community almost by accident. It was like, oh, these people are my people. This is a fun thing to do. Let's let's just keep doing this. So just everyone, how they got into it, who brought them into it and just how they got to where they're at now with their sport is it's all different for everybody. So yeah, yeah, it is really cool to know where people like how they got to where they're at. So like, yeah, you saying your dad's the one that taught you to ski. I mean, that goes back to like, you said when you were five, like, was it when you were five that you learned to ski? I know you said you were always out in the woods when you were five. It was pretty much, yeah, five years old. We moved back from Florida. I really don't remember too much, (laughs) you know, five years old. But I, it was right around, it was five or six. I forget exactly, but it was like five or six years old when he started bringing me out to Perfect North. Like, I don't really remember even. So yeah, it was one of those sports that just, I don't even remember learning. I've just always, it's like riding a bike. It's just always been there in my life, which the difference between learning the learning from a parent who teaches you when you're young like that versus discovering a sport like climbing, like I did on your own is two totally different processes. (laughs) Well, yeah, because like anything, when you learn as a kid, like there's your body is trained to do it more. Your mind is trained to do it more. Your, your brain's a little cushion when you're a five-year-old versus a full grown adult. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) So yeah, definitely easier to learn. Um, So, I mean, when you were learning, I mean, you probably don't remember again, but like, was there, do you ever remember times when you didn't want to be out skiing or was it just kind of always every year that that was a one of our one of my christmas presents was always a pass 
to perfect north. So it was just one of those once a week, I would always get out there. And it was my once a week thing that is just a part of my part of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. They just like, your family just kind of created it to be to be who you are. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I didn't get out west to the mountains until my freshman winter, actually. My dad finally took me and my sisters out to Steamboat out here in Colorado. And I I fell in love with the mountains. And then I joined the ski club. They were the underground ski club. They <laughs> they got in a little bit of trouble my freshman year, but they, they kept doing their trips. And I got out to Aspen. I got out to Copper. And it was just after that, it was I needed to try and get out here every year. And then I graduated and I moved back and I just didn't have time to do that. And I was pretty much just climbing, but I wanted to get out here more, but I just couldn't. And I finally decided it was just time to move closer to the mountains. <laughs> so do you think your family's going to come out and visit you a ton? Uh, yeah, I'll, already my mom's been out once and I know that she's coming out again with my grandparents here in like a month. My dad's coming out in less than a month. I have friends coming out in like a month or two. Everyone's like, oh, you're out there now. I, can I come visit? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so right. it's been actually I mean, kind of cool. It's like, everyone's like, oh, now that you're out there, I have an excuse to come visit. So exactly. Which is kind of nice to be the one that made the jump. Now everyone's like, hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a brother that lives out in Salt Lake City, Utah. And like, yeah, he got a ski pass for this coming winter. And like, he's like, come visit anytime. Like, yeah, that's awesome to have those friends and families that are just like, who make the jump themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll see. I know I have two friends that are, they're doing their master's at Ohio University right now, but they're moving out in spring of next year to do their doctorates at the University of Boulder. So then I'll have, and it was one of the guys that I lived with for three years at Ohio State and was my climbing belay partner who I got down to the red a bunch with. So I'm looking forward to having him out here so that we can get climbing more again and just head out into the mountains together. So right for sure. Like those people that you're just good good friends with makes it that much better. Yeah. Um so about your podcast, I mean when when can people expect to be hearing that first episode? It's gonna probably be about two to three weeks from right now. So coming up here within within the month I'll definitely have it ready to drop I'm planning on editing out my first three or four three to five videos and dropping three three to five at the same time and then doing a weekly after that so that's why it's going to take a little bit more time I'm not just going to start dropping one at a time and doing it weekly I'm going to start with a small batch so that people can have a couple to listen to instead of just a single one dropping. Yeah, that's a cool way to do it. Like we were, cause I mean, podcasting is becoming such a big thing now. Yeah. And my husband and I were talking about how we got started and like, we started ours last summer and it was more so just like wanting to record memories that we had with people when we, when we were out camping with friends. Yeah. And so that's like kind of how it started. And then we went on this big road trip and recorded, we recorded every single day, just like a synopsis of what we did that day. Um, Where was the trip to? It was kind of all over the country. We went out east first, 
we went all the way out to Maine. Gotcha. And then we came back, stayed back in Minnesota for a couple days, and then we went out west. But yeah, we kind of hit up a ton of places. I liked going out west more. I loved going out to, um, let's see, we went to a little part of Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, um, and we just went in our car and would just find national forest and just camp wherever. That's awesome. <laughs> and it was really sweet because you can camp for free in most national forests. Yeah, the dispersed camping sites. Yep. And there was way better, yeah, way better camping spots out west than there was out east. Out east, we ran into a lot of troubles, especially when we were in like, um, well, no, New York had some good sites, but I think it was Ohio that we really struggled to find dispersed camping and we just ended up in like parking lots <laughs> i feel like there's like no dispersed camping in ohio i lived there for years and you, did you guys go to uh what park did you go to in ohio was it the like national park or oh you guys went to the national park up there in cuyahoga yeah we did we okay, did gotcha. we went there for a day and we went to like well just one part of it because it was like in different sections yeah we just went to one section of it yeah, there's less wilderness on the East Coast than there is West. So you definitely have a lot less dispersed camping. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there was some really good camping out in New York, for sure. I've not made it up to New York yet. Want to definitely, I would love to ski some of the bigger areas out East. But when I was making ski trips, you're spending about the same amount a little bit more to head out west, but you're getting just a higher quality of skiing. So I always ended up deciding to go with the ski club out here. And it was always just a blast. <laughs> right. Yeah, it looked like um, Vermont. Vermont was a place we went and we we hiked the long trail there, but that's like right on the Stowe ski area. And that looks like a really cool place to go. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I've never skied giant mountains. I've just skied a small... We call them mountains here in Minnesota, but they're more like hills. <laughs> That's They're probably bigger hills than the hills that I grew up on, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we have like this, a place called Lutzen, and that's like pretty, gotcha. pretty decent sized hills. I don't know, some of the black diamonds are intense. And Michigan, Michigan has some good areas to ski as well. Have you ever been there? I have not. I want to go to Mount Bohemia, though, at some point, because it's pretty much all backcountry I think essentially it's it's hard to explain you'd have to look it up but it's a it's a cool mountain there but it's up in the what's the name of the area not the the upper peninsula yeah the, 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 UP? the UP yep yeah UP. yeah UP is a good area yeah I still need to get up there for sure but I I went up there for work sometimes with my last job just to normal Michigan it's it's pretty barren <laughs> once you actually like the actual main area of Michigan's very kind of a lot of nothing between cities it feels like yeah, so, yeah, which, yeah. just like Ohio but Ohio has corn instead of <laughs> just nothing so at least you got corn to look at yeah it's kind of like driving through Wisconsin as well and parts of Minnesota are like that too Kansas is always the worst coming out west <laughs> that's all I gotta say yeah yeah that is a nothingness land uh, so is there anything else that people should know about your upcoming podcast and where can they find you? So my website is www.outdoorpulse.net. 
they can find me there. I have a YouTube page and they can find me on YouTube. I have it up as Outdoor Pulse Podcast. If you go to my website, you can, I have links to all my social medias for it. So not really too hard to find me. The easiest place would be just to go to the website and go to whatever link you want to. I have it up on Apple Podcasts. I have it up on Spotify and uh, Lipson. So I'm going to try and get it up in, on more, uh, what's it called, directories. But for now, it's up on the main ones. Awesome. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, like I said, uh, as of right now, I have my first 10 guests, but I'd love to be able to have you on also. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I would love to come on. We'll definitely. Yeah. yeah That'd be awesome to be able to talk to your husband too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. He could definitely um, talk tech stuff with you about the podcast. <laughs> He'd love to. I'm not big into the techie part of it. <laughs> I kind of just learned everything on my own. So <laughs> yeah, we started out with like a super teeny travel size microphone. We realized that wasn't cutting it. It was great for like recording trips when we were camping, but long term, I would love to be able to take this and go to like X games or like just while I'm at like the ski slopes and just meet random people and just do like a mini series, like possibly, which I'll need to get like, tra like this obviously isn't portable. So right. I'll need to figure out like a portable setup at some point, but that's, I think that would be kind of cool to kind of get into like on the spot, just, you know, riding up a lift with a random person and just getting short stories that way. Yeah, that would be super, super cool. I mean, because like everyone has a story to share and it's just exactly. kind of like getting someone to grab those stories. Yeah. And that's like totally what I find about just like this whole like, yeah, when I'm out hiking, I'm like, I want to hear your story, like share it. Let's let's see how you got in. Well, yeah, thank you again. And I will be in touch. But like I said, I would love to be able to have you and your husband on. That would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. We've loved doing this podcasting journey. We love bringing awesome guests on. We love seeing that people are listening. And we're really, really grateful that this is hopefully inspiring other people to get outdoors. Yeah, and as part of our mission at Hiking Through Life, we really want to help support others in continuing their journey or starting their journey into the outdoors. So as part of that, we have plans for future episodes to address some listener feedback. So if you have questions about backpacking, hiking, adventuring outdoors, let us know. Email hikingthroughlife at gmail.com and submit us your question or topic and we'll possibly address it in a future episode. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.